Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Christianity today has changed over the years. It is no longer the magazine started by Billy Graham back in 1956 that covered church news from a biblical perspective. It has become a news outlet for the progressive church. Not to say that everything on it is garbage, untrue, or unbiblical, but it definitely should be taken with a few grains of salt. <laughs> as, as we get closer to the new year, I did find an interesting list that they put together on their top 10 articles for pastors in 2021. I know that not all of this podcast's listeners are pastors, but it is an interesting list showing both the perspective of the progressive church, but also a little look into what pastors go through today and what they are bombarded with. Seeing this list from both those perspectives should give us a better understanding of both the condition of our churches today and our pastors. 2021, they say, was a hard year to be a pastor. In fact, a recent study shows that a number of them are considering leaving the pulpit due to the countless difficulties doing church ministry today. Many of the top CT pastors uh, articles are are concerned with what it means for clergy to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic, social justice issues, and deconstruction movement, as well as the church abuse scandals. Can the church and its congregants continue to set themselves apart from the culture of this world? How can pastors maintain their hope for the future after the deaths of mentors and the downfall of so many influential church leaders? What can we learn from the past abuse scandals and stories? How can we listen to and love the skeptics of ex-evangelicals among us? Now, it, we'll cover that term here in a second. First of all, number 10, coming in number 10 for them, was a story back in July 12th of this year. And it was entitled, Four Stats That Will Change the Way You Pastor. Number one, 74% of U.S. adults believe the church offers hope to people. Be encouraged, pastor, they say, by the fact that nearly three quarters of both church and unchurch people see the church as offering hope. That's a lot of darkness out there. And, there's, and, and you're doing the work of light. However, while many Americans believe the church offers hope, there is a gap in tangible, tangible expressions of that hope. Only 53% of U.S. adults believe the church makes a real difference, and 44% view the church as being known for the things that they're against. Number two, 62% of U.S. adults feel Christian pastors have been strong leaders when it comes to racial justice. They say the good news is that 62% represents a lot of people. But they also say the bad news is the disparity between 
churched and unchurched people is staggering on this issue. 82% of church people feel this way. What I would say this means one in five don't feel that way, which is kind of an interesting figure. Only 54% of their unchurched peers agree. Well, that's probably because um, they're unchurched and they don't have a pastor to you know, see how they're handling certain social issues. Americans are looking for a way forward, they say, when it comes to issues on racial justice. And the church can be a key player in, 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 in providing guidance. Sermons on racial justice are necessary and important, but they aren't the primary way that the unchurch will be exposed to your church's heart for reconciliation. Well, yes, the church should provide guidance on issues like racial justice, just not exactly the way that CT envisions it, I would say. So, number three, many unchurched people would be interested in uh, in preaching or church programs designed to help them flourish. Depending on the city, one-third to one-half of unchurched Americans responded that they would definitely or probably be interested in preaching or programs that helped them achieve spiritual growth, financial well-being, mental and emotional well-being, vocational or career well-being, and relational well-being. Well, I would say that the Bible can help with a person's well-being, but that is not the focus of the message of Christ. It is a message of selflessness, despite what the name it and claim it pastors like Joel Osteen and and the like uh, preach. This data resonates with the uptick in both positive and negative online searches during the past year. They point out that as they as they face forced isolation, many people came face to face with themselves in a way they'd been able to avoid amidst the noise of the pandemic life. Online searches for depression and suicide rose, but so did searches for exercise and cooking. (laughs) So number four, 80% of millennials agree that experiencing God in a service alongside others in person is very important to them. The generation often chided for their relationships uh, to the, the virtual space craves the physical world. In fact, while 73% of millennial churchgoers say the pandemic made them more open to digital church, 46% say they struggle to focus during an online church service. I think just about anybody does, really. The online world may be a way to connect initially with millennials, but it doesn't offer the entirety of what they're seeking, or I would say what anyone is seeking. Millennials, the oldest of whom are turning 40 this year, kind of a shocker, are yearning for community and connection. This hunger provides local churches with a tremendous opportunity to show hospitality to a generation that they have often struggled to reach. That was an interesting article, and that came in at number 10. Number nine, the article number nine is Georgia Church Loses Pastor, Then It's Assets 
to regional UMC leaders. Back in July 21st, this article came out and it said that conservative Methodists worry about their place in the denomination ahead of delayed plans for a split over LGBT issues. Regional leaders of the United Methodist Church, or UMC, took control of an 8,000-member congregation in suburban Atlanta earlier this month after lengthy conflict over who should pastor the church. The North Georgia Conference seized assets of Mount Bethel United Methodist Church in Marietta on July 12th, a move that has sparked tensions um, already roiling over the denomination's ongoing conflict around same-sex marriage and LGBT orientation. Back in April, North Georgia Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson, uh, uh, they they call it reassigned Mount Bethel's conservative pastor, Jody Ray, to a role in the regional office involving racial reconciliation and said a new pastor would be sent to the church. Ray turned down the assignment and left the, the denomination. In a sermon announcing his departure, he said to his children, quote, your daddy did not bow the knee or kiss the ring of the progressive theology, unquote. <laughs> so that kind of tells you all, right? The UMC works on a sending rather than calling model for pastors. Rather than churches interviewing potential candidates and hiring the one they feel is the best fit, a bishop in the um, consultation with the, the local churches sends each pastor in the region to the church that he or she feels is the best fit. And in April uh, 26th letter, uh, Halpert Johnson wrote that the reassignment of a pastor is not done out of spite. The placement of a pastor is not done as a form of punishment. The reassignment of a pastor is not designed to persecute. <laughs> but after the seizure of the assets was announced, Mount Bethel issued a statement saying that Albert Johnson had failed to engage in the denomination's consultive process <laughs> while, while she claims that she is acting out of love for the church and its mission. Uh, enlisting attorneys and the courts to seize assets is a strange way for a bishop to show her love for one of the healthiest churches in her conference. And this was according to uh, the congregation statement. Uh, conflicts over the pastoral assignments have led other conservative congregations to leave the UMC, which is waiting on a delayed vote to split the denomination over the LGBT issues. Quote, some have left and others are contemplating departure. We are working hard for the people to hold on to the legislative gathering in 2022 when the UMC will finally vote on a plan allowing conservative congregations to leave and take their assets with them as they go. Leaders are are involved in in the Global Methodist Church. It's the new denomination expected to receive conservative churches after the split. Uh, see that that, that bishops this this bishop's actions here in Georgia has a warning to conservative congregations. And to me, it's interesting to see denominations compromising the biblical message to pander to the political correct social message in order to gain more people. And in the end, 
they lose congregants and and churches. It's just not a biblical way to go. All right, number eight. The number eight um, uh, on the list here says, uh, my dad taught me how to love the exvangelical. I told you I would come back to that term, and here it is. Uh, back in October 21st, this article uh, was a piece that was uh, adapted from Russell Moore's newsletter. And he said, a year ago last week, my father died. And if anything, the one-year anniversary was even more brief, uh, indu- even more grief-inducing than the actual day of his death. With all the reflection over the past year, I realized one thing I never really knew before. My father taught me to love the exvangelical. And exvangelical is the catch-all term for people who walked away disillusioned and sometimes even traumatized by American evangelical Christianity. The word is really slippery because it can include everyone from committed Orthodox churchgoers who no longer claim the word evangelical because of all the nonsense they've seen go under the name to those who have actually walked away from the faith altogether. He, he actually, in this article, he goes on to describe when he, at 21, tells his dad that he wants to go into ministry. And his dad said, quote, I wish you wouldn't do it. I don't want to see you hurt, unquote. His dad, you see, was a, a pastor's son. And he goes on in the article to say that when he goes into how his father uh, had, had seen a lot of ungodly things, uh, growing up in the church and 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 things that that just didn't seem uh, you know to to cover spiritual matters and and that this had an effect on his dad. He said, "I never thought about all of that until my eight, my fifteen year old son asked my wife in early two thousand twenty one whether I had had a moral failure given the accusations of my being a liberal." for not supporting a politician I believe to be unfit, Uh, a critical race theorist for saying that African-American people are telling the truth when they say that racial justice still is a problem, that I I must be funded by George Soros because I think that the immigration system should be fixed, etc. He says, I invited my son to come with me to one of those, quote, business meetings, unquote, where they read out their grievances against me. And when we walked out, I said, quote, well, what did you, what did you think? And he said, that whole thing was so angry and so stupid. Why do we want to be a part of that? So, so to me, when I read this, <laughs> instead of showing his son biblical truth, he, 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 he goes and, and confuses him with things that he doesn't understand. He goes on, he says, I didn't have a good answer, but what I resolved at that moment as I looked into his eyes included two things. The first was that my son would never have to ask again if I had failed morally because of the maturations of some people. And the second was that I was going to make sure as much as possible that my sons never have to see the church the way my father 
had to see it, <laughs> except you just did, right? Oh man, these guys, they don't, they don't see it. They don't understand it. Um, just this past week, he says, I had multiple conversations with people who grew up in evangelical churches, some of whom have been very committed and devoted, and they had been hurt. They saw the church turn against them because they wouldn't adopt as scripture some political ideology or uh, personality cult. Some had even seen people they trusted revealed to be frauds or even predators. Not one of them walked away because they wanted to curry favor with elites or because they wanted to rebel. If anything, the posture of many of these people was not that the prodigal son, uh, one of the prodigal son, off to some far country, so much as of this father waiting for the road for the prodigal son they loved and wanted to embrace again their church. So, so what? So what he's saying is, if if I don't believe that homosexuality is okay, then I'm the prodigal son? Just nonsense. My He says, my counsel to them was different than my counsel to many of you. To them, I talked about the dangers of cynicism and how to distinguish between the failure of an institution and the failure of the one worshipped by that institution. But to you, to us, I would counsel, let's believe in Jesus enough to bear um, patently with with those who are hurt, especially those hurt by the church. Jesus does not need us to do public relations for the 99 sheep until uh, still in the pasture. He needs us to go looking for the one who's lost in the woods. At some time or another, that's all of us. And we will count on a church loving us enough to send in someone after us, not with her... Um, uh, hectic and and shaming, but with patience and love. And it might even be that the one who comes to help you in your darkest moment is right now an ex-evangelical. <laughs> of course, I would say people get hurt in church. It's made up of and led by people. And people do tend to hurt other people sometimes. It just happens. All right, number seven, the pastors aren't all right. 38% consider leaving the ministry. This article was back in uh, November 16th, and it says, as the pandemic has gone on, burnout continues to take its toll on church leaders. Pastoral burnout has worsened during the pandemic. A Barna Group survey released today found that 38% of pastors are seriously considering leaving full-time ministry, up from 29% just last January. The change that has been accelerating in the last 18 months has left a lot of pastors with their heads spinning and their hearts spinning as well, said Joe Jensen, Barna's vice president of church engagement. Quote, all the chaos, all the pressure, the magnifying glass of social media, the pandemic, the politics, the hyperdigital context, it makes sense that you have a lot of pastors saying, 
is this really what I signed up for? Is this what uh, I was called into? Pastors across the board are feeling more overburdened and lonely as the pandemic goes on. And, um, and the crisis is particularly acute among main, mainline Protestant churches. In October 2021, half of the mainline pastors said that they are seriously considering quitting compared to a third of the evangelical non-mainline pastors Barna found. Now, when churches um, called off in-person gatherings during the pandemic, pastors lost out on the boost of uh, uh, assurance that could come from worshiping together in a full sanctuary. Hugging members after the service and talking through issues with them in person. So in some cases, they were left navigating intense church conflict, polarizing uh, departures and and pandemic trauma without some of the most life-giving parts of their ministry. And I would say, so so maybe they should not have called off the in-person services. Hmm? Those that didn't have and you know th- those those that did did have the services that didn't call off their services they have seen huge growth it, the article goes on though it says quote it's forcing pastors to find their identity in Christ and not in the perfection of their ministry and i think that's a good thing i would say the same um and this this was said by uh, burleson uh, he's he's a pastor at uh, timber ridge church He's had to address his own fears of not growing and remind himself that God's call in Matthew 25, 21 was focused on faithfulness, not success. And I could just say, or just do what the Bible says to do and not bow down to social pressures. All right, number six, lastly on the list, we have Atlanta uh, shooters, um, uh, last on the list uh, today, <laughs> so I should probably say, Atlanta shooters' church ties raise question for pastors. And this goes back to March 18th. We must know our congregations well enough to respond to the false gospel and distorted teachings infiltrating their spiritual lives. The, the article says that as Christians all across the country are processing this week's events involving the acts of Robert Aaron Long. His, uh, our heads are filled with questions. Not long after the shooting and arrest, a video of Robert being baptized in an Atlanta area church began to make its rounds online. His self-description on Instagram said, quote, pizza, guns, drums, music, family, and God. That's pretty much sums up my life, unquote. We in the American church are bound to wonder how a follower of Jesus could do something like this and what the church could have done to better teach, correct, or care for this deeply troubled man. While we don't blame the church for or Christianity for the actions of one person, there are a few things this tragic event should lead Christians, and particularly Christian leaders, to think through. As a pastor, I see three questions that we may ask about our congregation. Number one, 
Who are our people? The contemporary church in America has largely lost its sense of eschatology, with church being understood as a building, uh, an event to attend, or even preaching content to download from the internet. But New Testament clearly tells us that the church is the people who have been called out by the gospel, called together as the people of, of Christ, and called to join in the mission of God. Any pastor leading a congregation must understand who those people are that make up the church and how we are to know them and have meaningful connection with them. Number two, who else is discipling our people? I have heard pastors say that churches don't have enough discipleship. I would agree with that. What he says is, I would argue that the problem isn't a lack of discipleship, since people are always being discipled, whether people leave the worship service or their small group, whenever they close their Bibles, they are immediately inundated with social media and communication broadcasting uh, 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 broadcasting another narrative. They are being discipled by their workplaces, their friends in the community, and their news feeds. Pastors can assume their congregation is inundated with those outside influence, but they also have to be asked what messages their people are taking in. And, and lastly, what gospel are our people believing? He says, I don't know exactly how Robert Aaron Long understood the gospel or Christianity, but I do know that there is a kind of Christianity that isn't very Christian. In fact, there are many Christianities that aren't very Christian. There is also a, a stream of Christianity that follows an American moral code, a sort of God, guns, and country Christianity. Neither of these are faithful to the actual call of the gospel. And I'm going to step in here and say, so, so this is the, the rub of this article. This is where it is. Pride in God's gift to us is bad. He goes on. The gospel doesn't call us into a Christian tribe. Rather, it calls to a deep dependence on Jesus as Savior and Lord. As we begin to see our sin before a holy God, we begin to believe that we can be forgiven and redeemed through the life and the work of Jesus. And that's true. But God set up and gave us our government. And having ha having pride and, and respect and, and wanting to, to, to keep that going uh, in, in a way that, that doesn't tear everything down is, is not bad. It's this, this nationalism, this attack on nationalism. And if you, if, if you have any kind of pride in, in, in your country, then you're, you're not a good Christian. That's just a, a, a terrible message that they're trying uh, to, to, to get through here. That, that, that is not something that we should be trying to, to further. He goes on, he says, there are many people who can identify with a certain kind of Christianity and never identify with Christ. This tribal 
Christianity can lead to self-righteousness and self-justification rather than leading to love and forgiveness and freedom in Christ. It only leads to shame, self-hate, great division, and even outrage. (laughs) Kind of sounds like liberalism to me. Uh, It seems that at some point, Robert Aaron Long, despite being a professed Christian, may have started believing in these kinds of Gospels. (laughs) Right, again, nationalism made him do it, right? He, he concludes here with, he says, we must see that God himself was willing to take on our sin and the sin of those around us and was willing to be canceled, crushed, shamed, despised, and condemned in our place. When we recognize this kind of love by God's grace, it sets us free from the kind of counterfeit gospel tribalism that plagues our churches and sets us on the pursuit of of God in Christ. And again, I would say um, that this is the kind of thing that we get from the progressive church. So th- this is the bottom half of Christianity t- Today's uh, top 10 articles for pastors in 2021. And we'll finish up with the top five of this list on Wednesday. And just let us know what you think. You can always go to Uncommon Sense Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.